So on behalf of Chess, I'd like to welcome you to the December 2017 podcast. I'm Kyle Hogarth from the University of Chicago, editor of the podcast section. Thank you for joining us today for what's going to be another terrific conversation. My first guest is Dr. Jennifer Quint from the Imperial College London Department of Respiratory Epidemiology, Occupational Medicine, and Public Health. She's here to discuss her article, The Effects of Pulmonary Rehabilitation on Exacerbation Number and Severity in People with COPD, a historical cohort study using electronic health records. Jenny, thanks for joining us today. Oh, thank you for the invitation. My next guest is Professor Michael Steiner from the NIHR Leicester Biomedical Research Center and Respiratory at Glenfield Hospital in Leicester, the United Kingdom, and he's here to talk about his accompanying editorial, Pulmonary Rehabilitation, the Lead Singer of COPD Therapy, but not a, quote, one-man band. Mick, thanks for joining us as well. Thanks very much for having me. So, so guys, um, you know, uh, Jenny, if you want, set the stage for us. You know, what were you trying to accomplish? This, uh, this is obviously a huge endeavor to the amount of data you went through. Um, you, you clearly just didn't do it on a whim. <laughs> so what were, you, what were you looking at? What were you trying to accomplish? No, so, so this actually branched out of a piece of work that the Chartered Society of Physiotherapy in the UK had commissioned Michael Soliak to do. Michael's a, a research fellow in the Department of Public Health uh, at Imperial College. And they wanted to develop a web-based tool that commissioners, so people who are paying for local healthcare services, could use um, applying to GP practices locally to allow them to plug in their numbers of, of patients that they have with COPD who are eligible to undertake pulmonary rehabilitation and to show a potential cost savings in terms of future exacerbation events if they were able to invest in, in pulmonary rehab. And, and Michael and I thought that this was a, a, a great idea, but of course said to them, okay, well, we need an evidence base in order to, to do this. So the first piece of work that we did was actually a, a systematic review around um, the benefits uh, of pulmonary rehabilitation in stable patients uh, relative to um, future exacerbation events. And in doing that review, realized that, you know, most of the data comes from randomized controlled trials and, and smaller populations and uh, some specialist populations in some regard. And a lot of my uh, research focuses on the use of routine collected data and particularly primary care data. And so I thought this would be a great opportunity to use that primary care data to, to look in the UK COPD population over the last couple of years and see, firstly, how well pulmonary rehabilitation referrals are being recorded, how often they're being made, and, and whether or not there is any association with future reduction in, in exacerbation of COPD events. So that's how this came about. Excellent. So then you, you and your team put a lot of work into this, so why don't you, you know, fill us in on, on, on what you found? I mean, that, that was the preamble, and, and I think um, along the way, both uh, Mick and Jenny, could you, uh, just from, you know, especially after I think you go through your data and we'll, we'll talk about what you found, but I also want to make sure that all our listeners um, have a, re, a full kind of comprehension of, of what's involved with pulmonary rehab and, and what are the definitive known benefits and then where there's areas of still, you know, clear ongoing discussion of the benefits of pulmonary rehab. So with that background, dive in. Okay. Um, so in undertaking this study, we, we used a research database to which GP practices that contribute to a specific software system and who are happy for the, those anonymized data to be used for, for research contribute. 
And we, within that database, defined a, a cohort of patients who we knew had COPD based on validated algorithms and code lists that, that my team had, had developed before. And we looked for the use of the few pulmonary rehabilitation codes that, that exist uh, that GPs potentially could use with, within the data. And one of the things that, that we found that was quite, quite striking was the fact that whilst GPs tend to use the more generic have been referred for pulmonary rehabilitation codes, what they don't do is use the completion codes. So one of the fundamental limitations of, of this analysis is the fact that we can't be sure that just because people are referred for pulmonary rehabilitation that they've actually completed the program. All we can tell from the data is the fact that, that they've been referred in the first place. And, and so one of our messages back to, to primary care out of this has been, well, if you don't code for things as well as you possibly can in terms of the, that level of detail, it makes it harder to really understand what, what's going on in, in your patients. Nonetheless, with that, that caveat, we um, then went on to look at, okay, amongst those patients who are potentially eligible for, for referral to pulmonary rehab, and, and we took some, some key exclusion criteria. For example, if people had had a, a stroke um, or we knew that they had uh, dementia or arthritis, things that, that might commonly occur that might prevent them from taking rehab, but certainly not an exclusive list. We said, okay, well, if we exclude those people out of our sort of eligible population, what proportion get referred and what proportion get referred and are declining to attend pulmonary rehab and, and what proportion don't get referred at all. And we were surprised to find that actually a, a large proportion of patients don't get referred for pulmonary rehab at all, even though they appear to be eligible. We're not able to, to explain that in more detail, but again, just you know, a very interesting finding that there's opportunities here that are missed in terms of referral for, for pulmonary rehabilitation. What was the number you found as far as the number of people that seemed eligible versus the number that actually were referred? So out of our population of 108,000 patients, we had just under 39,000 who were not eligible. And then um, so it was about 69,000 of that 108,000 that were eligible for, yes. for pulmonary rehab. And then how many were actually referred? And then of those um, referred, it was only uh, just over 6,000 of them, actually. So about 10% actually referred for pulmonary rehab. And, and make you comment on this within the editorial. This is shockingly low, but seems to unfortunately be extremely consistent across many different uh, countries as well and, and, and different styles of practice. Yeah, so uh, perhaps I could first congratulate Jenny on what I think is a very interesting and insightful analysis. But I was going to put this initially in the context of uh, what pulmonary rehabilitation actually aims to achieve. Uh, it's, an, it's a complex intervention which has a number of components, but principally surrounding progressive exercise training and a program of disease education and self-management for patients. And it aims to address the primary problem of breathlessness and exercise limitation, which is commonly suffered by people with COPD and, for that matter, other, people, other respiratory diseases, and provides a supportive environment for people to be able to engage and, and take part in their own care. It's provided in a variety of different models around the world, but in the UK, which is relevant to this paper, it's mostly uh, delivered as an outpatient, and patients attend the program uh, between two and three times per week for around six weeks. 
Uh, and it has been shown conclusively through very well-conducted randomized uh, controlled trials to improve both exercise capacity and health status. And these have been summarized in a number of Cochrane systematic reviews. And in fact, the last Cochrane review drew the conclusion that we should stop doing clinical trials in pulmonary rehabilitation because it's been shown conclusively to be effective and no further evidence on its main objectives is needed. However, I agree with Jenny that the evidence to suggest that rehabilitation will reduce exacerbations is much less clear. And broadly, the, uh, it comes down to what rehabilitation can offer the patient in terms of their resilience to the effects of an exacerbation. There's no rationale for thinking that actual exacerbation events themselves would be reduced. And so, for example, in the seminal study in this area in uh, about 15 years ago in 2000, Tim Griffiths showed that pulmonary rehabilitation uh, a year later resulted in the uh, reduction in days spent in hospital, but no reduction in over, overall numbers of admissions, suggesting that the risk of admission was similar, but the patient weathered the storm a little uh, better after they've uh, been through pulmonary rehabilitation. So I think in that context, the, the, uh, the analysis is extremely interesting, but we shouldn't lose sight of the fact that the primary purpose of referring people for rehabilitation is to improve symptoms. And you're quite right that the uh, referral rates for pulmonary rehabilitation are very low, and we've recently uh, addressed this through uh, a national audit program in the UK, uh, which has surveyed pulmonary rehabilitation practice as part of the wider care for COPD and found that not only is referral rates very low, but uh, patients who are referred frequently don't attend their appointment and a significant proportion of people who do attend subsequently don't go on to complete treatment. So uh, although the treatment is effective, and that was again also shown in the audit, the, uh, the numbers of people in receipt of those benefits is much lower than we would like. And so let's expand more then, Jenny. So, I mean, the, the, your study was to uh, look, is there this larger benefit, you know, that, that, that Mick just talked about in the sense that we've, we've known its importance in, in, in conditioning and, and, send, and relief of dyspnea, et, et cetera, but the, the bigger question of uh, healthcare utilization and can we have reductions in exacerbations and healthcare, um, you know, visits to the GP, et cetera, et cetera. And I think that's where... You know the the real strength of your data starts to 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 come out uh, and 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 further you know highlighted then in mixed editorial in the sense of what what should we be expecting from rehab and and clearly highlighting our deficiency in getting our patients to rehab but but what can we not expect from rehab as well? Yeah, absolutely, and 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 that, this is very much why I I pushed to do the study when we were doing this work with the the CSP because. I, I felt intuitively that knowing the benefits of pulmonary rehabilitation, I wasn't convinced that it was going to reduce exacerbation rate in a in a stable population. And I didn't want to be developing a, a web tool for commissioners to use if I, I wasn't sure what the answer was going to be and if actually it was the you know the correct message in, in the first place. And if you think about it intuitively, with all of the educational elements that go on around rehab and educating people about their disease if they have better recognition of their exacerbations, and, and, and that I think is a very, very good thing, then you wouldn't expect to see a reduction in their exacerbation rate following pulmonary rehabilitation. Well, you may even see an increase if the person's sort of more alert to it instead of suffering through. Absolutely. You, you, can make, you, can, you can make that discussion, right? 
Well, that definitely, was the point I was uh, point I was going to make that there may be a paradoxical effect on making the patient aware that they ought to see their doctor if they become unwell. Um, right. And I would say that that's on how the benefits you, of pulmonary rehab. Yeah, no, absolutely, I agree. I, I was going to also comment on it, it to, a, to a degree. It, de, it depends on how you approach the data. So, uh, if you take a population estimate in the way that that you've done, uh, it's quite possible that any impact on individuals will be variable and may not be visible within when you take into account all the vagaries of uh, clinical data recording and general practice, which is imperfect. Um, but there are, there are other lines of evidence to suggest that there is an impact on healthcare utilisation, and we've just looked at this as part of our national audit, and we've we obtained uh, admission data for six months following assessment for pulmonary rehabilitation in around 7,000 patients who, who were, uh, were audited in 2015. And what we've shown is that the people who complete pulmonary rehabilitation uh, have a significantly reduced risk of being admitted to hospital at six months. Um, and that occurs between three months and six months after the time of which pulmonary rehabilitation would have finished. Now, we don't know whether that's due to the intervention itself or whether it's because there are common risk factors for both being admitted to hospital and uh, not completing pulmonary rehabilitation. But certainly uh, the data does suggest that if you take a cohort of people who are assessed for rehab, and that's quite different to what was analyzed here, that you do see impacts on the completion of treatment and an association with a reduction in utilization. And, and this wasn't a trivial amount. So the, of the 7,000 people who were assessed, around 30% had an admission by six months. So this is a, a group of people who are at risk, uh, and that risk was substantially reduced in those who, were, who had completed treatment. So to an extent, it depends on where, you know, at what point you, in the patient pathway you acquire your data and, and how that's, what context the data is analyzed in terms of the population statistics. So, so let's let's dive into that then, Jenny. Tell us more about what you found. I mean, as I think both of you implied, you know, the, the benefits of rehab, uh, in, in particular, its resilience. Um, you know, it doesn't alter the biology of the disease. So, you know, your your first sort of look at the data was, wait, I'm not sure this is going to affect exacerbation rate. Maybe they won't be in the hospital as long, for example, or as sick as long because they are now indeed more resilient. But we haven't changed the, the inherent nature of the disease. And, and like as you said, you were trying to develop a tool, and the last thing you wanted was a tool that wasn't going to provide any value. So tell us what you found. Absolutely. It was, it was informed by, you know, by, by incorrect data. So, so we, well, we did a number of analyses, and we tried to sort of make the best use of, of the data that, that we had. And, and, and the first sort of analysis that we did was, was comparing all of those patients who'd been referred for pulmonary rehab against all of those who were not referred for, for pulmonary rehab. So kind of a, you know, the, I guess the, the loosest um, analysis that, that we did. And then we looked just among those patients who were referred for pulmonary rehab at their exacerbation rates before and after. Um, and then we limited that to simply one year before and after, because we argued, well, you know, things change over time, and it's, um, you know, it wouldn't be implausible that that it wouldn't, the benefits wouldn't carry on for a much much longer period of of time. And then, in our fourth analysis, we took those in whom had completing codes, and we looked at those um, patients for one year before and and one year after. And and the reason we did all of those analyses is that the more um, prescriptive we got about our definitions, of course, the smaller the cohorts get, and right. then you start to to lose statistical power. 
Um, but, you know, irrespective of, of how we, we cut the data, there, there wasn't any statistically significant decrease in, in exacerbation rate um, before or after pulmonary rehab or between those groups of patients um, who did and, and did not undergo pulmonary rehabilitation. And, and while for some of the analyses there was a slight suggestion that, that maybe exacerbation rate was increased slightly, it was, it was not statistically significant. So effectively we found no, no difference um, in terms of exacerbation rates pre and, and post. I mean, are we, are, were either of you surprised? I guess I should, let me ask you to throw that one out there for both of you. Uh, well, perhaps I'll, uh, <laughs> I'll give my sort of uh, view on it. I, I, I suppose I, I wasn't in the sense that uh, 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 there are a number of sources of uh, uncertainty that come from analyzing this kind of data. So we've already discussed the, the potentially variable impact on of of undertaking rehabilitation on how patients interact with the healthcare system. It may have a paradoxical effect of of increasing in some, and it may have improved resilience in others so that they withstand the effect a bit greater. So the impact on individuals are, are variable. Um, I, I suppose uh, I, I have a concern about the, the way that, that um, healthcare commissioners or payers are trying to... Uh, make decisions about whether they should commission pulmonary rehabilitation services. And it's all about an effort to reduce healthcare costs. And I think what this analysis shows is that we simply don't know what the effect is at a population level. And, and I don't think the recording of rehabilitation uh, referral or uptake is sufficiently sensitive in GP systems to really draw uh, detailed conclusions. In our, in our practice, for example, locally, we know that the majority of r referrals to rehab are made by my hospital physician colleagues, not, not by GPs. And that may not be the case everywhere in the country. Uh, some referrals will be made by community services, and uh, I, I don't know whether those referrals will get logged on GP systems. So it, it, I think we just need to be cautious where, before decisions about commissioning or providing services which which are fully justified by the clinical trial evidence on the basis of improvement in symptoms. And if you look at the scale of benefit, the improvement in symptoms from rehabilitation dwarfs that seen by inhaled therapy, and yet we don't seem to have a restriction on or a problem with commissioning the provision of inhaled bronchodilators. And I just have a concern that the, that the the argument is being framed around admissions to hospital, days spent in hospital, and, and whilst that, that might be an impact on some individuals, it, 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 this and other lines of evidence, which Jenny's very nicely shown, suggests that we're, going to be, we're in danger of being disappointed if we expect a simple cause and effect relationship at a service level. I don't know if that makes sense to you. No, it doesn't. Jenny, yeah, and I, I have to say... I. I completely agree with, with Mick, actually. And, and I think one of the biggest messages out of this has to be if, if you want to, to understand what goes on in, in the real world or in, in terms of, of everyday data, if, if you don't code it well in the first place and you don't 
understand the referral systems and the processes in the first place, then, you know, it's garbage in and garbage out with, with this kind of work. And so we, we tried very hard to do the best that we possibly could with, with the data that, that were available. Um, but it, essentially, no, I, I wasn't surprised. And in fact, I, I almost found it reassuring in a way that, that exacerbations numbers increased slightly after rehab, because that says to me that it's doing something of benefit. It's educating patients. And we know about all of the other benefits of, of rehab. And there's nothing to me in any of this work that indicates that there isn't a really important role for, for pulmonary rehabilitation in the management of COPD. Right, and I think as you both say, the, the caution here is if someone's looking for a one-size-fits-all magic bullet for COPD and they've tried to make pulmonary rehab that, it's clear that that's not going to fix all components of this disorder, but that without a doubt, all the very well-established benefits are still there. Just the hope that it was going to reduce acute exacerbations you know, which seems obviously biologically implausible anyway, um, that data is not there. But as you both highlighted, you know, the, the statistical uptake or the, the excuse me, the, the post rehab, hey, increased exacerbations, it's not truly an increase. It's an increase in the coding of it, the recognition of it. And that actually would arguably be a very good thing because that's a more well-educated patient, as you both said. Yeah, I think that's right, and I, and I, I think it, I think it, I think in the in the in the in the clinic, it, it always it's always sort of incongruous to be thinking of rehabilitation as a as, a, as an exacerbation prevention measure. So when it, we we have a, a complex COPD service, and we we take a, an approach where we assess patients in specific domains. Uh, the exercise and breathlessness domain than the exacerbation domain on the grounds that patients come and say a variety of things, some of which is, doctor, I can't walk because I'm breathless or, doctor, I keep getting chest infections. Now, if the patient says, I keep getting chest infections, I don't. The first thing I, I do is not refer them to rehab. I, I'll be looking at preventing inflammatory or infective events. Whereas if the patient says to me, I'm breathless and I can't do the things I used to be able to do or I want to do, then the first thing I would do is send them to pulmonary rehab. So, of course, there is a hope that the resilience and vigor of the patient will be improved, the underlying condition of the patient will be improved, and therefore they will withstand exacerbation events better. But it's not the primary reason that I would refer a patient for rehabilitation. And I, I think commissioning has got to align itself with what goes on in the consulting room. I, I couldn't agree more. I couldn't agree more. I, I think that's, that's absolutely right. And I think if commissioners want to take one important message out of this study, it's it get the coding better, understand who completes pulmonary rehabilitation, and then go back and, and, and do this again with, with some better coded data in the primary care system so that you can truly see what the effects are. And, and of course, if you do the coding better, uh, for example, there's been examples of... Uh, services, uh, specialist uh, community physician services going into primary care to support them identifying patients with COPD from their, disease, from their registries and proactively looking for, for patients who might need rehabilitation. You find a great need out there and some of that need is from people who are frequently presenting to their GP with exacerbations but you quite often find that those people have significant exercise limitation and significant breathlessness. And the reason they're presenting all the time is that their lives and quality of life is very severely impacted by the disease. And they will benefit from rehabilitation. Uh, but it's not primarily for the exacerbation events. It's to improve their overall health. Right. 
and potential productivity, right? I mean, many of these patients ultimately are, if, if they are still working, they're even their work capacity is limited and some move on to some level of, of disability. I mean, the, to, for anyone listening who thinks that, you know, the, the value of pulmonary rehab, if we're not showing a reduction in exacerbations, you know, we shouldn't be thinking about it, but, in, but it so clearly has benefits in so many other areas, and, and you would just hate to see that be, uh, you know, uh, have someone have a negative view of the role of pulmonary rehab in the in the management of complex COPD. Exactly, I think that's that's what we'd be anxious to avoid. So, Jenny, what else what else have we missed? So your your paper is is very comprehensive. Um, is is there any other highlights or or key points from your paper that that we haven't uh, hit upon or or discussed? No, I I think those are the the key things. Really, it's the fact that you know. People aren't being referred who potentially are eligible for referral. The coding for completion isn't great, so it's really difficult to know what the benefits are for those patients because you can't easily tell in primary care who's, who's completed. Um, so, no, I, I think those are really the, the key things. And, and, and as we've discussed, the majority of the time, this, you know, don't become negative about pulmonary rehab just because it doesn't show a reduction in exacerbations in a, in a real-world study because there's a whole host of other benefits. Mick, anything, anything else to, to thoughts that, or things from your editorial well, that we we didn't touch upon? Well, I suppose I'd, I'd quite like to plug the uh, the work that we've been doing in the UK around auditing uh, pulmonary rehabilitation services, and we've been doing this for the last two or three years. And the reports are freely available on the UK Royal College of Physicians website if anyone's interested in seeing them. And if you just type in COPD audit UK, it'll be you'll find it. Uh, and really what that shows, um, importantly, are the two main things we've been discussing. Firstly, that if you look at what ha actually happens in the field to people going through real pulmonary rehabilitation services in clinical practice, they get the same magnitude of benefits in terms of exercise capacity and health status as, you, as was seen in clinical trials. And that's quite important because not all clinical trial interventions turn into real-life benefits in practice. Exactly. And secondly, it very clearly highlights the major deficiency in the number of people being referred for pulmonary rehabilitation. And our estimates are not widely out of line with what Jenny's shown, suggesting that um, uh, the majority of people who might uh, benefit from the intervention are either not being offered it or are not taking it up or not completing it. And that, I think, is the major challenge for the respiratory community to try and move those figures in the right direction. And that we may or may not see improvements at an individual level or reduction in risk of days spent in hospital, uh, but that's, that's a side benefit to what really is the core work of pulmonary rehabilitation, which is to improve symptoms and quality of life. And I want to be able to also, for our listeners, just to expand upon, I mean, as you described, pulmonary rehab within the U.K., it's, it's quite similar in, in North America. Um, and so, you know, there's there's not a market difference from a program perspective. Clearly, subtle little things, but nothing that is, I think, substantive to argue that this data, uh, to it, to it, you know, the, the point of your of your uh, data and the editorial that it's it's actually very much exportable uh, to other healthcare environments. That so this is not just a UK issue in regards to both lack of referrals and the overall benefits seen uh, in in pulmonary rehab in regards to symptom improvement and you know breathlessness reduction, et cetera, et cetera. 
No, indeed. And in fact, this is the issue of, of lack of access and referral has been of concern to the rehabilitation community across uh, both Europe and the US. So the, the ERS and the ATS have, have, have written a joint policy document which yeah. sets out the steps that need to be taken to try and enhance access to rehabilitation for people with chronic respiratory disease. Uh, and, many, and many of the things we're talking about will, you know, directly related to that in that um, what we're trying to do is to set a, a sensible paradigm for healthcare payers and commissioners to provide a service which we know is effective, but we also know is not easy for patients to do, uh, and patients need to be supported in their efforts to attend and get to programs, which is not always easy. So it's not something that will just happen without the effort of the whole health community. Indeed. And in fact, if nothing else, a lot of times those kind of efforts, that usually comes right back to the funding question, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. And, uh, you know, obviously it's fighting for priority amongst a lot of other things. <laughs> so we have to keep battling. <laughs> and actually that's something that we weren't able to, to look at here at all. Some of this patients who were eligible and, and not referred may well have been a, a funding and resource issue at a local level that we'd have no way of, of being able to tease out from the primary care databases. Ah, good point. But, but it, yeah, and I think that's right because previously they'd go on. Sorry. No, no, please, Mick, go, go. No, I think that because previously there'd been some discussions in the UK about providing financial incentives for for patients to be referred for rehabilitation, and, and that hadn't gone forward because there was a perception there was there wasn't enough service around to make that a viable incentive. But actually, I think now there is plenty of service around. But some of that perception may may still exist in some areas of primary care. Well, that's interesting. What, um, so we, we, we've been talking for a while, so I want to be respectful of both your time and, and at the time of recording this. Your, both of your work days have been winding down, so I want you to be able to get to be with your families. What, um, what, what, uh, what haven't we spoken about, or what are we missing? Is there kind of a final thought uh, or something you wanted to just reinforce from our, from our prior discussions? Jenny? Um, uh, just that... I, I think really, as, I, as I've said already, that, you know, pulmonary rehab is exceptionally important, plays a major role in the management of, of COPD. And just because we haven't been able to show in, in real-world data with all the limitations of, of the coding and, and the caveats, the database that we know exist, that it, you know, benefits people in terms of exacerbation reduction doesn't mean that it, it isn't a good thing. Agree. Mick? Yes, I, I suppose that what I've been uh, mulling over is what we're clearly finding is that people who attend an assessment for pulmonary rehabilitation are at quite high risk of being admitted to hospital over the next uh, half year or so. And I think there's an opportunity there for, for exacerbation prevention and management strategies to integrate better with pulmonary rehabilitation programs who may be able to identify those patients who are at risk and take other measures by uh, engaging other services such as community physician services where extensible exacerbation prevention measures could be taken. So I think a, a, there is some room for, for better integration of what goes on in pulmonary rehabilitation and what goes on with the rest of that patient's health care for their COPD. And at the moment, uh, that doesn't always happen, I don't think. Uh, so that, that, that's, that's perhaps a, a final thought. Excellent. Well, both of you, I, I can't thank you enough. This was this was fantastic, and and again, congratulations, Jenny, on a on a fantastic paper, and and and, and make a really excellent editorial that just accompanies it. And, and for our listeners, I, I 
definitely encourage you to go read both papers. The, the, you'll you'll find that they the this conversation was a, a fantastic addition to what is uh, two excellent papers and worth reading. So, uh, both of you, thank you so much for your time. Thanks very much. Pleasure. Thank you very much.